This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. You ready? Okay, Parshas Masse 5782, everybody. What we're going to talk about today is we're going to deal with a certain part of the Parsha, which is strange. We're going through the Masos. Now, it is Matos Masse. We're specifically going to deal with Masse today. And we're going to deal with this Pasuk. It says, Aaron Akoin went up to the mountain of mountains, the mountain on top of the mountain, by the word of HaKadosh And he died there in the 40th year since B'nai Yisrael left Mitzrayim. In the fifth month on the first of the month, that is Rosh Chodesh Av. He passed away in Rosh Chodesh Av, which is tonight. Obviously tonight. This is the York site of Aaron Akoin. Here's the strange thing. There are three things in this puzzle that we need to work on. The first thing is, why is this here? What is this doing here? We know that he passed away in Parshish Chukas. It's mentioned over there when he passed away. There's no reason to mention this among the Masos. You know what's not mentioned as they're going through the Masos? Matan Torah. It's not like they stop and they say, and here's where we got the Torah. But for some reason, we stop in the middle of the Masos and we say, and by the way, this is where Aaron died. And we already mentioned this just three parshios ago. What is the point of that? That's number one. Number two, this is the only person that is mentioned in the Torah whose death, whose yortzite, is mentioned explicitly. Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned explicitly. You have to be Darshan from when they went into Eretz to figure it out. Miriam's, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Nobody is explicit about when they died and when their Yortzite is. The only one is Aaron HaKohen. And it's not in Parshish Chukas when he actually died. The only time that it's explicit is here in Parshish Masse as they're going through the Masos. Isn't that unbelievably strange? That's number two. Number three, what is Horahor? Where is this place? Because Horahor is mentioned among the northern border of Eretz the northeast border of Eretz later on in this Parsha, in Parsha's Masse itself. If he passed away in Horahor, now remember, this is Rosh Chodesh Av. They fought against Sichon right after this. That's in Elul. That's what the Medrash says. Right after that, they fought against Og. That means they didn't own the land of Sichon and Og yet. If Horahor is the northeast boundary of Eretz Yisrael, how'd they get there? Now again, I'm not going to put anything past the Kaddish Baruch Hu. He's pretty good at doing miracles. I agree. That's possible that it was just a miracle and it happened there and that's that. But why in the world do we mention this? It's like the northeast corner when it seems to be somewhere else. So now, I'm going to give you a bunch of Hirushim. First, we're going to start with Horahor itself. Targumunculus calls it Har Tura, which is also super weird. Har is Hebrew. Tura is Aramaic. Why in the world would Targum Unculus, who writes in Aramaic, write the word Har and then Tura? I don't have a good answer for that, so unfortunately I'm going to leave that as a blank. He should have written Tura Hatura. That's what he should have written. But he didn't. He wrote Har Tura, which is super weird. Targum Yonason says he calls it Taburus Umnus. Taburus Umnus. This is Amana which is a mountain north of Eretz Yisrael. If you look in the Mishnahis and Perak Vav, Mishnah Aleph Shvius, you'll see that mentioned over there. And it's usually identified, according to Ravari Kaplan, as Jebel Zabadani. Jebel Zabadani, a mountain range that goes from Lebanon to Syria. Now, there is a city called Al-Zabadani. I could find that. I could not find Jebel Zabadani. I couldn't find that on Google Maps. But I did find Al-Zabadani, which sounds like a place that everybody would want to visit in the summer. Syria, right? Right at the edge, right by the Lebanese border itself. Maybe right around there, that would be our Horahores. Now, that would make sense if it's the northeast corner of the borders of Eretz Yisrael, right? But that would be really difficult to say that Aaron was buried there. Some say it was 
buried by the Banyas. The Banyas is where the Jordan River used to form from, one of the places where the Jordan River started flowing from. Nowadays, it's not exactly that way. Those who have taken hikes near the Banyas know that it's not that big of a pool. But regardless, that area could have been as well. Rivaria Kaplan then says that he quotes from Josephus in Antiquities that it's Jebel Nabi Harun. Jebel, as you notice, by the way, is Arabic for mountain. If you haven't figured that out yet, it's okay. Jebel Nabi Harun. It's 50 miles south of the Dead Sea, just south of Petra, in an area known as Acre, and therefore is on the border of Edom, which makes a lot of sense. That's where they were at the time when Aaron passed away, right by Edom itself. Today, I looked it up, it's in Jordan, 10 miles east from the Israeli border, and there is a shrine there, and if you look on your papers, you will see that little shrine is Aaron's Kever. That is Aaron's cover. The Arabs treat it as a holy spot. They do not touch it. They walk in only barefoot or with socks on. They do not go in with shoes. And they do claim that that is where Aaron HaKohen is buried. There's a guy, David Weintraub, those guys who know him from Chicago. He was there seven years ago, eight years ago. He visited that area, right? Don't ask me why he went to Jordan, but he went to Jordan and he went to that area. There are those that say it's Jebel Madura, which is northwest of the Dead Sea, or Jebel Akar. I couldn't find either one of those mountains on Google Maps. Doesn't mean much, right? But I couldn't find anything right over there. But Midbar Rabba, this is in Yud Gimel Yuta, says there was a mountain on top of a mountain, hence the name Horahor. That's why it was called that way, and there was a protrusion that came up on the top of another mountain, this quote of Arashi earlier. So it doesn't bother me so much that there are a bunch of mountains that are known by this name. It could be that every mountain that had a mountain on top of a mountain was called Hor HaHor. Maybe that's the idea behind it. It's possible that that's the answer to all these questions. It was called Horahor because it literally was a mountain on top of a mountain. There was one on northwest and there's one southeast. Either one of those could have been perfectly fine. In Paraglamadalapazuk Zion, we mentioned Horahor as being the north, northeastern. If you look at Rashi in Gittin, Chesamad in Dibar Maskal Ezu, it says it's Mount Amana, just like Targamukla says, which makes a lot of sense, northwest border of Eretz Yisrael. The Barbanel and the Paneach Raza say it shared a feature. So it works out well. Everything's there. Fine. So we just figured out where Horahor is. Most likely the southeast corner of Eretz Yisrael. It might have been the northeast corner, right? But regardless, that's the idea behind it. The Chassam Sofer says in Drushos that it has nothing to do with Pshat. He goes into an entire remise here. He says, when we talk about Horahor, this is not the official Horahor the one up north, because it looked like a mountain on top of a mountain. That has nothing to do with this. He says this hints to an inner enemy. The one that we know of as the Sahara, the Satan, the Malach Amavis, who is called Hahar HaGadol in Sukkot and that it looks like when Tzadikim passed away, they see the Sahara in front of them as a massive mountain. They say, how in the world were we able to climb this mountain? The Rishayim see it as a little tiny string. They said, how weren't we able to capture, you know, to jump over this little string? But they see it as a mountain. The power lies with the Yetzirah, lies in his ability to make evil people our enemies. In other words, to take us down, to make us sin, such as Korach, Dasan, Aviram. Those people are known as Har HaKaton. The job of a tzaddik is to conquer both. The big mountain, the Yetzirah himself, with all his convincing, you know, convincing arguments. And the Harakaton, which are the cronies of the Satan. The ones who make us sin, who convince us that there's something out there. 
Aaron worked on this his entire life, all 123 years, climbing those mountains and getting out of the bad, staying away from that Yitzhahara and making sure nothing bad would happen. That's what he did. And that's what the Pusikins do at the end of his life. Was he buried on Horahor? Not the Horahor. No, that's the border in northeast part of Eretz Yisrael. This is a remez to how Aaron lived his life, always conquering mountain after mountain after mountain. That's a nice remez, right? That's a pretty good one. The shock says that Aaron was buried there because it was right on the edge of Edom. So his presence would protect Eretz Sol from Edom fighting them. That's why the Sophie Tavis, the last letters of the words, Hahor Biktsei Eretz Edom, is Mitsur, Matsur. He was like a fort on the east side of Eretz Sol to go up against Edom itself. The problem is over here. Hahor Biktsei Eretz Edom is Resh Hey Sadi Mem. That would be Memtsadi Resh Hey, not Memtsadi Vav Resh. I have never, you know, like Gematrias can be one off, and we're perfectly fine with that, based on the Balaturim, that Ephraim is Shimon, Kiruvim is Shimon, Yule. So Reuven and Shimon are equal to Ephraim and Menasha, but it's off by one. So we see that the Torah considers like one. That's okay with the Kolo. I've never seen a Sophie Tevos off by one. <laughs> I've never seen it before, but it's straight out. This is from the Shach. The Shach is one of the Talmudim of the Arizal. I've never seen it before, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And by the way, it does seem that he did protect them because Edom never fought against Bnei Israel. Amalek did, Midian did, Ammon did, Moab did, the Canaanim did, Aram did, right? Surya did. All these areas fought against Bnei Israel, but never did Edom fight against Bnei Israel until many, many, many years later. So it seems like Aaron's presence there did protect them from it. That's a possibility. Okay, that's the first one. Then we get to the next question. What's Aaron doing here? Why is he written among the Masos, among those travels? So time it a crow. Rukhaim Knievsky asks this question. And he says, the Gemara Roshan Darshans, that when Aaron passed away, the Anani Akavod left Bnei Yisrael. This is Ambez Mabez Gimol Amit Aleph, if anybody's doing Roshana, right? He left Klau Yisrael. That Anani Akavod left Klau Yisrael. And the Canaanim thought they were given permission to fight Bnei Yisrael. Maybe that was Sichon, right? That's that. Toso says it's darshaned from our Pasuk, not from Parshas Chukas, but rather from over here, the fact that it says Vayishma Kanani after this Pasuk right over here, that's where it is. Why? Why is that so? Why darshan from over here and not from Parshas Chukas, where the same thing happens? Aaron dies and it says Vayishma Kanani Melech he says, the Rushalmi in the beginning of Mesechus Yuma says, Bnei Yisrael ran backwards, eight Masos out of fear. They were so afraid of the Canaanim or the Amalekim or Sichon, whoever it was that was fighting them, they were so afraid, they ran eight Masos back to try to get to Mitzrayim. Shevet Levi was sent to go grab them. A civil war broke out and families of Klau Yisrael were killed. That's the reason why five families from Binyamin are missing in the next count in Parshas Pinchas, because it was unbelievably sad. People were mamish killed in this war, this civil war between different, different people. So Rashi brings this in Parshas Pinchas, you see it over there, in Parshas Kukas, I'm sorry, but eventually leading them to Horahor. Out of Bnei Yisrael's honor, to not mention what they did explicitly, it's only hinted to in the Midrashim, but it doesn't say it straight out, it was hinted to by the Masos to know why it seems Bnei Yisrael walked backward. That if you know where the Masos were, they were going in the direction of Eretz Yisrael and then went back and then went back up. Why'd they do that? Why would Bnei Yisrael do that? If you knew where they were, you'd wonder why they went eight Masos back. And the answer is 
because of this. Because B'nai Israel ran back, they had to chase after them, the civil war happened, many of them were killed. To cover up that sin, we don't say anything, we just mention Hor HaHor. There's a large Ramban about this in Parsha Shukas, a very large Ramban about this, trying to go through exactly what happened. Regardless, that's the reason why it's mentioned over here as well. It's mentioned to Darshan what happened by Yishma Kanani, so that we know that something happened by the Masos to make them go backward. Ramosha Feinstein says in Kol Ram, that's the new Sefer that was just put out by Ramosha Feinstein, not Darash Moshe, but it's a brand new Sefer, beautiful, beautiful Sefer. Even though we just mentioned his death in Parshish Chukas, we're going to mention it again here, and by the way, we're going to mention it again in Sefer Devarim, because Aaron was the greatest guy. We're talking about a guy who everybody loved. Oiv Shalom, Barodev Shalom. He got rid of everybody's fights. Everybody should want to be like such a person. Yes, obviously, Avramina was a great man, and Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Moshe Rabbeinu, and there were great men out there. But there are very few our own Hakoins in this world. Very few. And I know you'll tell me, but Avramina was the man of Chesed. I totally hear you. It doesn't say about Avram that he mattered fights. It doesn't say about Avramina that he went and he chased after peace. It says that about Aaron, not about anybody else. He's a man of chesed, but Aaron's a man of shalom. And therefore, everybody should try to be like him. So when we mention Aaron's death, we do it again and again and again. Such a person is Roy to cry over. He is fitting to cry over. Such a person is a special person. That's why we go through it again. That's how Ramosha finds this. Two answers why it's mentioned over here. Now, how did he die? The Pesach says he died al-pi Hashem, by the mouth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rashi says that's misa, misas nishika, the kiss of death. Kiss of death, those who used to play the old Mortal Kombat game, right? That kiss of death, that's right there. Based on Baba Basra, Yud Zayin Ralf, which means a death that does not include the Malacham Abbas. That's what it means over here. The Sif Sechachamim explains that the words Al Piyashem not only apply to the words before it, it applies to the words after it as well. Not only Al Piyashem that he had to go up the mountain, Al Piyashem he died as well. Everything that he did was Al Piyashem, as we'll go through in a second. Now, what does Mises Nishika mean? So the Moshe of Zikanim is two answers. The Mori Nevuchim, the Rambam Mori Nevuchim has an answer, and the Chassam Sofer has an answer. Here's what they say. The first answer of the Moshe of Zikanim is a pretty crazy one. It just says, he died looking normal. Misas Neshika means that his eyes were shut and his mouth was shut as if he was going to kiss someone, and that's when he passed away. He was very calm at the end of his life. That's the first answer. Mises Nishika means a very calm death. Now, the only problem I have with that Moshe Zikanim is there are a lot of people that die that way. There are many people that die a very calm death. It's not like it only happened to Aaron Cohen. And the Gemara says in Baba Basra, it was only Moshe, Aaron, Miriam, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov. Maybe David. Right? That's it. That's strange because that sounds like a death that anybody could have. That's his first answer. His second answer is, he was so I'm so stuck to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that at the end of his life, he got a nevuah, an actual nevuah, a prophecy from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that prophecy allowed him to understand what was going to happen right before he died. He was clinging to Hashem at the end of his life, so to speak, as if he was kissing Hashem right at the end. That's the form of nevuah that he received. Just as two friends kiss each other before they leave, so too, that's how Aram passed away, out of love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's a very interesting answer, right? Both of those are Rishonim. The Rambam in Mori Nebuchim, this is in Chela Gimel Parak Nun Aleph, says, this means, Hanos HaSoga Hagi Merova Cheshek. I think I found this in Otzer Flo's Torah. But a benefit of some type of Hasaga, reaching an ability from his tremendous love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's as if 
the greatest thing that ever happened to him. There was something as if it's almost like he achieved something that he wanted so badly. When he finally got it, he was so happy, so ecstatic, he passed away. It's if he died out of ecstasy, died out of the best feeling in the world. That's what happened over here. And that awesomeness, that feeling is called Nishika. That's the third one over there. The fourth one is Zachsam Sofer. Now, this one is very interesting. It's in Drushos Chelek Bez, page 334. He says, when a tzaddik is connected to Hashem, it's like a candle with a flame. Because the truth is the following. The neshama of a tzaddik understands what's going to happen to it in Olam Haba. And the neshama of a tzaddik doesn't want to be here anymore. It knows what it's going to. It knows it's getting Olam Haba. Listen, I have no idea what's going to happen to me after death, so I don't want to die. I have no desire to die. If I die, I have no idea if I'm getting Gehenna or if I'm going to Gan Eden. I have no clue. So I don't want to die. I want to stay here to do more things, better things, so I can gain a bigger portion in Gan Eden. But Sadiqim, they know they're going to Gan Eden. And they know how awesome Gan Eden is. Their Neshama at least knows. So their Neshama is trying to pull away from the body at all times. The only reason why it's attached is like a flame to a candle. The wick is holding down, so to speak, the flame from going forward, going up. It's as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is holding the tzaddik down, like putting his hands on top of the tzaddik, saying, no, no, you're not done yet. You have more things to do. There are more things for you to do here, so stay in this world and don't go any further. So the neshika is almost as if to say, holding my, the tzaddik back, pulling the tzaddik down, Right? And then at the end of at the end of his life, the Nishika allows the Nishama to go up. It's almost like it releases him. And that's the kiss. It's removing the blockage that lets the soul go free. That's the idea of Mises Nishika. What an unbelievable answer, right? That's from the Khsam Sofer. He even brings from Tehillim, Kuflamites Pasake, Vatoshes Alai Olai Kapecha. You put your hand on me. You won't let me go, said Davin Melech. I want to die. I have no desire to be here anymore, right? But you won't let me go. And again, by normal people, normal people don't have this because normal people are never guaranteed a chelik in Olam Haba. Only the greatest of tzaddikim can die by that Mises Nishika, and that's that. What's up, Bruce? From me? No, no, no. Okay, sure yeah. Even the great, there's a Gemara or something, even the greatest that he can have to fear that maybe we won't get a Chazan out of Nava. Uh, I, I, uh, I, that specific line I don't remember. But if there's something that says, yeah, that everybody, the assumption is that would be. But these six people maybe didn't have to. If you, you mean specifically Moshe Rabbeinu had to fear that he didn't have a chilek. Shemei Yigrom are you talking about Yaakov Inu Shemei Yigrom He was always worried that something bad would happen, something like that. Okay, that's why he doesn't rely on things in this world. That's a little bit different from knowing that he has Olam Hava. I think that's different. And I think Yaakov Inu by the end of his life knew that. Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of his life knew that. I hear you. Shemei Yigrom is close, but not exactly. Shlomo. That's a great call, yeah. Where, where you have a certain person, like a Chanoch, for example, or an Eliyahu Navi, where their bodies are so holy, the Neshama doesn't see any difference. But I, I don't know. That, that, that's obviously not going to be what we're talking about over here. If that's what the Chassam Sofer is talking about, that's a little bit different, I think. I think. Now, by the way, those six people didn't allow the Yitzhar to rule over them. It's from these words, Al-Pi Hashem. They also didn't have Rima Vesola. They had no rot after death. Their bodies did not rot. Their bodies remained there, right, even after death. I mean, th- that comes to tell you something, by the way. I'm not, I'm not positive. I, I've never fully um, understood the stories that we have 
of those people who after they passed away, their bodies are whole, that there is nothing wrong with them after death. You probably heard of the Vilna Gon story when he was reinterred, right? There are other stories that people tell, right? There was a story that Rabbi Lawrence Kellerman has in one of his books about a lady whose, husband, whose father was not from, even, in South Africa, who ended up, she, her, they reinterred the body. The body was perfectly fine, like totally intact, did not rot at all. And he, you know, I guess pontificated why that might be. I, I, I don't know. There's some interesting things about that. I, I have absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. We have a straight alpasik in the Torah of Atzmos Yosef. We have the bones of Yosef at Tzadik. We have the bones of Yehuda rattling around in the grave. If Yehuda and Yosef, the Shifte Ka, did not deserve to have their body absolutely whole after death, I find it very hard that everybody else, anybody else, could. And the Gemara seems very clear in the Gemara of Abbasra. There's only six people that don't have Rima Vesola, maybe seven with Dovin Amelech. And again, it's Avram, Yisuk, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, Miriam, and Dovin Amelech. Right? I, I, that, that find that really weird. I find that really weird. I, I, I can't tell you it's 100% true. There is that Gemara, people will bring up the Gemara, with Bab Metzia, right? And Pei with uh, Pei Gimel and the Beis, Pei with Rebbe Elazar ben Shem, Rebbe Shimon, right? That you were just going to bring up. Rebbe Elazar ben Shimon. Yeah, I hear it. I, I definitely hear it. You know, the Rebbe Elazar ben Shimon is a very interesting story. But I'm not positive he was fully dead and that wasn't a coma. I'm not positive that that's what the Gemara means. When he says, what really bothers me about that Gemara is right there, where it says that his wife said it was between 18 and 22 years that he was up in the attic. How did she not know how long he was dead in the attic for? I don't know. I haven't been counting. <laughs> He's been up in the attic for a long time already. That, that is a pellet to me. There's clearly something there going on, and I'm not positive. Could there be something else going on over there? I, I don't know. I mamish have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I, I'm, just, I'm bothered by it. Because it seems that the Gemara is saying that. Maybe there's something else to the Gemara that I'm missing and that other people can also be intact. I'm not sure. But at least there's something there. And I know people are going to bring up different Mephorshim. I know. I know. I've seen those Mephorshim. I'm confused by that as well. I wish I fully understood it. I'm not there to fully understand it. Something is beyond my grasp over here. And I've done the Mephorshim and Baba Basra. Something is beyond what I understand. In Leket Sichos Mosa, Rabbi Isaac Sher says these words, Al Pi Hashem, were said specifically because Aaron was a different person. He treated everything that Moshe Rabbeinu told him as Avodas Hashem. He mamish with everything in his life was Avodah Hashem, Avodah Hashem. When he was told to go to the Mishkan, it was Al Pi Hashem. When he was told to bless Klau Yisrael, Birchas Kohenim, it was Al Pi Hashem. Everything he did was Al Pi Hashem. So when Akadosh Baruch Hu said, go up the mountain with Big Day Kuna, which is Usr, by the way, you can't leave the Mishkan or the base of Mishkan with Big Day Kuna, right? But when he was told, it was Al Pi Hashem, he said 100%. When he was told to die, he died Al Pi Hashem. This was a continuation of his life mission of doing the Avodah of HaKadosh Baruch to do whatever it was going to be. Even the Vilna Gon says in Adaris Elio, this was a Misa Ritzonis, a Misa that he wanted, not a natural death. He was still in the midst of his Avodah being Mekayim, a Mitzvah Saseh by dying. Do you understand that? that nobody is Mekayim, a Mitzvah say by dying. He was because it was Al Pi Hashem. And that's what the words Al Pi Hashem are using over here. That's what it means. He was such a high level. Now, we mentioned this question before. We don't know the death date, the yort site of any of our greatest men. Not in the Torah itself. It doesn't mention it, right? Moshe, the Avos, Yoshua, all these people. We have Midrashim. We have Midrashim to explain it to us. But our own, we know. And it doesn't even say in Parshas Chukas. It only says it over here and it's Rosh Chodesh Av. He says, now the Truma Sadashan says, it must be because after Aaron died, it says by Yishma Kanani, the Kanani heard. Rashi says, as we mentioned before, that the Anani Akavod were gone. They thought they were given permission to fight Klau Yisrael, and that's that. Maybe, 
they heard they were going to be successful or they saw they were going to be successful because they saw that Aaron died on Menachem Av. Menachem Av was a terrible time for Klai Yisrael. As we all know, the Meraglim caused Av, Tisha B'Av, to be a terrible time for the future. The Beis HaMikdash was going to be destroyed not once, but twice on Tisha B'Av. We know this. There were terrible things that were supposed to, that were destined to be on Menachem Av. Perhaps they saw in the stars that this was the time to fight Klai Yisrael. And Rosh Chodesh Av, that's when it is. And Haraya, Aaron passed away on this day. Aaron was gone on this day itself. Maybe that's why the Torah tells us the death of Aaron and not anybody else to tell us that this is a bad month. This is a horrible month. This is not a month that we want to get involved with. And yes, it switches by Tubov. We'll talk about that soon. But this is a month that you don't want to get involved with. Maybe that's why we mentioned this month itself. Now, the Tam or Sturmbach says, because Aaron again was a Rodev Shalom. He was such a special person. Therefore, when he died, it felt like Shalom had left Klau Yisrael. Nobody knew what to do anymore. They got into a fight. They had no one to go to to make them up, make up between them. Right? Therefore, his day of death became a day of crying and wailing and sadness even before the base of Mikdash. The only reason I don't like this for Shkumbrak so much is that it already was because of the Maraglam. I'm confused by that. Every year on Tisha B'Av, 15,000 and a little bit more people died on that day. They buried themselves in mass graves. I, it's a very strange thing to say this right over here. So I, I, I get it. Mematim b'simcha, right? Not marvim b'simcha, but matim b'simcha is mentioned by Menachem Av. I always thought it was because of the Maraglam, not because of Aaron's death. Ruth Sternbach seems to say because Aaron was such a man of peace, mematim b'simcha when such a person passes away. And that might be true. It's just a weird answer to me. And he even brings, you want to hear this? Rabbeinu Yol, Rimze Rabbeinu Yol, the Rishon, brings down a gematria, another gematria. Listen to this gematria. He says, Hachamishi is the gematria of 373. Hachamishi, Bechodesh Hachamishi. 373, the same gematria of Hasimcha. Get the problem yet? Hasimcha is actually the gematria of 358. It's off by 15. It's off by 15. What do you do with that? So he says, you know Why? Because we again have Simcha by the 15th of Av. It's only 15 days of Av where we're Mamayit Simcha. So that's it. That's all it is. Isn't that unbelievable? I, I don't know what's up with the Gematria is in this week's parasha. I just don't know. Right? That's unbelievable. All right, anyway, perhaps this is where Chazal came up with the phrase in Baba Laso Chafeimabez, Shkula Misa Sidikim Kisrei Pres Beis Elokeinu. That equal is the death of the Sidikim to the burning of the Beis HaMikdash. Especially since, again, the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, by Yisheni at least, was seen as Chinam. And Aaron stood for the opposite of that. He was Mamish the opposite. He's the epitome of Oi Labrius, Mekarvin Latayro. That's who he was. That's actually brought by the Ravina Bachai and Kadama Kemach, right? This idea right over here. And Munasi Tacha gives a third answer. He says this makes sense within the context of the concept called Nefesh Makumzman. He says, look, Aaron was the coin gobble. He represented the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And the Kodesh HaKadoshim, right, in Zman is like Yom Kippur, like the most special time, the holiest time, and everything like that. When the base of Mikdash was destroyed, that's like Aaron's death. The base of Mikdash is the Makom, where Aaron is the Nefesh. And therefore, when the basement is destroyed, that's Aaron. So therefore, the time seems to be the same time, during the first half of the month of Av itself. Right? Noah Magadum says that every single one of the muscles represents us in Gullus. Hopefully, we're at the very, very end, like Avel Ashitim at the very, very end. Right? That's part of the reason why we sing the tune of the Masos in Az Yashir tune. Right? We do that 
during Masos, during Parshas Masay, because it hints to the future Geula. So he gives a whole piece over there regarding this. Nintiv also points this out, and he gives the basic same answer. Since he was so involved in the Avodas HaMishkan, he's the first Kohen Gadol, that symbolized the Beis HaMikdash's destruction with his death. And that's why it was Av, just like it would be in the future, the Beis HaMikdash is going to be destroyed. The same basic idea that Nitziv says that. Svasam is quoted by the party. So it says, we say in Sefer Hasidim number 434, there was a Chassid that did a lot of Chassid for other people. When he passed away, everybody went to his funeral to thank him. So Aaron Akoni was the same. He did Chassid for everyone, and therefore he passed away in Rosh Chodesh Av. So everyone in Klai Yisrael would mourn, not just the Beis HaMikdash, but his death as well. Right? He died in Rosh Chodesh Av, so everybody would remember his death, and we remember it right there. That would work, by the way, if we had an actual, like, thing that happened in Rosh Chodesh Av to remember what, what happened to Aaron. I don't think people know this unless they get pointed out that Rosh Chodesh Av is the orchard of Aaron Akoin. Some people will know that, you know, like the Arizal that was on the 5th, right? Some people might know that. It's a weird one. I'm, I'm, I'm not positive this is an exact example. Likute Sichos by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he says this is an example what the Shlokhutter says that the Parsha of the week is always connected to what happens during that month, whatever it is. So, for example, Aaron passes away in Rosh Chodesh Av, so therefore we read this Parsha right around Rosh Chodesh Av. Matos Masa is always around Rosh Chodesh Av, either right before, right after, this year it's right afterward, right? Therefore we say it, and that's that. So we connect it in the Parshos as well. Tver Shlomo, the Redomsker, says his date of death is known to us because this Chus stands for us even during this bitter month of Av. Even during Av, we can rely on the Chus of Aaron Akoin. But Aznayim the Torah has such a massive Chiddush. This is um, Rav Sorotskin, uh, Rav, uh, Rav Sorotskin, this is Rabbi Friedman, you know, Rav, Rav Friedman, his wife's grandfather, Rav Sorotskin. This is such a brilliant answer. Mom is such a brilliant answer. Rav Zalman Sorotskin, yeah. So the Osman of the Torah says, you know, I, I mentioned this before, Baba Vasa Kupchaf every year since the Meraglam happened, for 38 years straight, 38 years straight, 15,000 people would die, a little bit more than that. A little more than 15,000 people passed away. Well, how did they die? They were turning 60 or something like that. They made mass graves, and every year on Tishbov, they would wake up, some of them would wake up, the 15,000 would be dead. The 15,000 would be dead. They buried them in those mass graves, covered them up, and that was that. Every year on Tishbov. In the 40th year, says the Gemara, oh, not... Well, it's based on Tosos. Tosos says, in the 40th year, the 39th year since the Meraglim, the 15, last 15,000 went down into the grave, the mass grave, and the next morning they all woke up. Every single one of them woke up. So they were shocked. They said, we must have messed up the date. Hashem said, everybody from 20 to 60 is going to die. So they did it the next night. The next night they went down to the grave on the night of the 10th, Right? And they all woke up the next morning. Said, maybe we totally messed up. They did it on the 11th, and then the 12th, then the 13th, then the 14th. Finally, when they saw the full moon, they realized they didn't mess up. They didn't mess up. It's Tuba of the 15th of Av, and we didn't die. So the Xer is gone. The last 15,000 plus survived. They never died from the, the Xera, the Meraglim. Though they had the Xera, those last 15,000, they survived. They went into Eretz Yisrael. That's how Tosis puts it. That's what happens in Baba Basu Kofchof Aleph. So listen to what he says over here. He says, in Parshas Chukas, that didn't happen yet. It didn't happen yet. Aaron died, but it didn't mention anything else. So that's why we don't have the date there. Right? It just says, Aaron died. And then we go on about whatever, about Yishma Kanani, and they fought, etc., etc. But in this week's Parsha, 
it's going over what previously happened. Meaning, Rosh Chodeshav happened and Aaron passed away. Tuba of happened and the people started a party. They started a party, right? Says the Oznayim Torah, what happened that allowed them to survive? How did they survive? And you know what the answer is? Because there's a Gemara. It's an unbelievable Gemara. Kufayim and Aleph. Anyone who cries for an Adam Kusher that passes away. You hear about an Adam Kusher that passes away and you cry over that person? You're forgiven for all of your sins. Think about that for a second. Every single person in Kla Yisrael, you know, it says Kol Beis Yisrael, cried over Aaron's death. Which means every single person in Kla Yisrael got a kapara for all of their sins. These last 15,000 people who were supposed to die, they had an edict on them, a gezerah. They cried over Aaron. They didn't cry over Miriam. They didn't cry over Miriam. But they cried over Aaron. And the gezerah was wiped away. That's why they went down in Tishbov and they didn't die. And they got up and they realized on Tubov. That's the reason why we mention his death here and we say it was on Rosh Chodesh Av. Because now we know why they survived. Now we understand it because he passed away on Rosh Chodesh Av. And then 15 days later they recognized that their crying caused them to have a kapara. Says the Oznayim Torah, that's why you mention the date now. Isn't that brilliant? It's mamish brilliant. The only problem that I have with this is, is that the Gemara says, but I have a problem with it. It's nothing to do with the Oznayim Torah. I have a problem with this altogether. The Gemara says that they cried for, the Pusik Gemara, the Pusik says they cried for Aaron for 30 days. They were Bochen, they were Bochum on Aaron for 30 days. 30 days means they went past Tubov. But Tubov, they were partying that year. They partied. They made a massive party. The Gemara says they made a massive party because they survived. So how, is there, how are they still mourning Aaron but partying? I, I don't have a great answer. Sort of like a Siam during the nine days, you know? Like, what do you do? It's sort of like the same thing. I, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. I really don't have an answer. I don't have an answer for that. But I think it's interesting to be able to go through. Okay, there is an Itziv over here that goes through the opposite order of, of Aaron's death. It should be Mea the Estrim Shlosh. Instead, it's Shlosh the Estrim Umea. And he goes to the Horror He says a brilliant shot. If you look at the Nitziv, he's going to send you back to somewhere in Parshas Chukas. Look at this shot. It's well worth it. How Aaron stood for Svara, and he was like the, almost like the Hor, the Oker Harim, while Moshe Rabbeinu was like the, the, uh, the, the, the one who knew everything. And that, that's like a different level altogether. What an unbelievable Nitziv. That's a really long one right over here. And the Oznayim Torah also says something very similar to it as well. Um... Right, the Rokat just says, by the way, that Moshe Rabbeinu, the death is not mentioned because he never died. But it doesn't really answer for the Avos. I, I don't understand why that works over there. He also says that nobody saw Moshe Rabbeinu's death while Aaron's death was witnessed by his son Elazar, right, and by Moshe Rabbeinu himself. Eliezer, I'm sorry. That's okay, but that's still a very strange thing. The last thing we have to know is why 123 altogether. Rabbi Victor Miller says one of the craziest things. He says, this is the time when people started to die at an earlier age. Meaning, um, Levi lived to 137. Amram also lived to 137. Aaron lived to 123, and Moshe Rabbeinu died at 120. He says, even though there's no real makor for Ad Me'ev Esrim, that you should live to 120, because why can't you live to 150? You can live to 180, right? And the whole pusik that they use in Parshish Barashish is taken out of context. That's talking about 120 years until the Mabal happens. Not that their lives are going to be 120. After all, Noach lived for another 200 years after the Mabal, 
right? Shame lived for 500 years after the Mabel. So what does it mean your years are going to be 120? Says Rabbi Victor Miller, the rule was that everybody started to go down. And it really, this age of 123, 120 was the most that anyone can get to. It's very interesting. That's how Victor Miller says it. It goes from the, right over there. And the Panem Yafos and the Chassam Sofer both say that it's super interesting. This was not only the death date, the Yorzeit of Aaron, it was also his birthday. He was born on Rosh Chodesh Menachemav. And he passed away on Rosh Chodesh Menachemav. And that was what the Canaanim messed up on. Just like Haman messed up the poor. When did the poor, the Goral, fall out on? On Zion Other. And he thought it was a great day because that's the day that Moshe Rabbeinu died. But he didn't know that Moshe Rabbeinu was also born on that day. So too with Aaron. Aaron was, his Yortzeh was on Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. But what the Canaanim didn't realize that he was also born on that day, and the mazel was strong in that day, and they both say that it was mamish like equal. He lived 123 years exactly. He was born, I'm making this up, okay? Don't quote me on this. He was born at 4.23 p.m. on Rosh Chodesh Av, and he died at 4.22 and 59 seconds on Rosh Chodesh Av. A full 123 years. Same thing with Moshe Rabbeinu and Zion Adar. What an unbelievable line. But the Panam Yafas and the Chassam go through this. Okay, we're going to end with this, guys. Have a great shot.